Hello and welcome to the MIT Press Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Gondek. And today I'm speaking with Martin Erwig about his new book, Once Upon an Algorithm, How Stories Explain Computing. Martin Erwig is professor of computer science in the School of Electrical Engineering and Computer Science at Oregon State University. Martin Erwig, thanks for being on the MIT Press Podcast today. Thanks, Chris. It's, it's a great pleasure to be here. The subtitle of your book, Once Upon an Algorithm, is How Stories Explain Computing. When did you first realize that works of popular fiction can be used to explain computing concepts? Yeah, it's, it's not exactly clear when it happened, but it certainly emerged out of the motivation for the book. And that was to explain computer science to lay people. And somehow this required some kind of metaphor. And when you consider computation, you notice that it's not just a a static thing. It's uh, In particular, it uh, it takes time. Computation takes time. And during computation, um, things change. And um, you can also see that this doesn't happen arbitrarily, but according to some plan. And that sounded a lot, lot to me like a story. And here the plan is, is somehow like uh, the plot. Yeah, and that gave rise to the idea that, well, maybe we can find computational concepts inside of stories. Um, I want to get a sense from you about whom this book is appropriate for. Uh, because I imagine if somebody's looking at it and saying, okay, stories, algorithms, uh, and some of the stories mentioned in the um, in the table of contents, you point to Hansel and Gretel, which we're going to talk about, Harry Potter. Um, so if somebody were to buy this book thinking, I have a child, I don't know how old, who's like very interested in computer science, this might be a good introductory book for them. Is that an appropriate age level? What are some of the, I guess, intellectual underpinnings you would think that somebody would have to have in order to get something out of this, to, in order to really get things out of this book? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, maybe this is best answered by uh, talking about the goals and motivation for the book. And originally, this was intended to be a popular science book for computer science. And the original target group were adults with a general interest in science, people who would also enjoy reading books like The Selfish Gene or The Fabric of Reality or The Blank Slate. And so the background knowledge that is required, there's not much, but some basic math. People should maybe know what a quadratic function is, but that's about it. Um, but there should also be, in particular, the motivation and appetite for following some longer explanations at times. But um, then I noticed also that this book could be for high school kids and college freshmen. In, in fact, um, there's, there's a lot of people out there, younger people, who are interested in computer science and wonder what it is about and whether it's something they want to pursue as a career. And many introductions to computer science require you to learn some programming language and they require some coding. And that, uh, we have found that that scares students away. And uh, well, I've, I've given talks to high schoolers, and we are also using this book now in an introductory class for, um, uh, for CS majors, but also in this class uh, there are CS non-majors. And uh, in, in some of these sections we use the book, and we introduce computer science uh, without really coding, but just using stories to explain the metaphors. And that seems to uh, work quite well, because some students are really scared away by the uh, abstract notation that programming languages often provide. So it is certainly also um, appropriate for high school kids, um, maybe even uh, some younger kids who are adventurous and uh, have, a, have a strong interest in it. And, um, but it's, it's certainly not for children. Um, another obvious requirement, of course, is knowledge of the stories that are employed. And that's not Hansel and Gretel alone and, and Harry Potter. There's also Groundhog Day, Indiana Jones, Black, Back to the Future, 
and Sherlock Holmes. And that seems to talk to more like teens than, than uh, smaller children. I, I also want to want to mention uh, the fact that the book operates on basically three levels, which gives you some flexibility in reading it. There, there is the introduction and the vignettes, these two-page short introductions to the chapters, and they provide a, a very high-level overview of the material. They uh, give examples, primarily from everyday life, and they tell you what to get out of the chapters and why they are important. And those parts can certainly be read by almost everybody. So there's, there's no technical background required whatsoever. I will say yeah. as a non-computer scientist, I, I mean, I liked the, the entire book, but I did find those particularly compelling reading helping me like grasp what was going, what, what was about to be presented in the book. Yeah. And so, I mean, I can, I can see people reading that and then saying, hmm, this is interesting or not so interesting. And then uh, based on their impression, then to decide whether or not to go into uh, into more depth and read the chapters. And then even the chapters can be read uh, on two different levels. There, there, there's the, the initial parts of the chapters. They provide, they try to provide explanations of computing concepts by pointing out how they occur in stories. And for the most part, I'd say this can also be read without much technical background. But then the later parts of the chapter sometimes do get into more details and they present some technical notations sometimes so I, I didn't want to dumb down uh, the, the, the material in the book. And those parts, yeah, they, they require more patience on part of the reader. And, um, yeah, you need some, some more um, grit to, to get through those maybe. But it's also fine, I think, to, to, to skip them. And it's, it's not often required that, you, you know, I would say it's almost never required to, to go into these more technical parts to follow most of the book, I would say. So the book doesn't have to be read from start to finish, and you can come back to certain chapters later if um, for some reason you, you find an interest in them. So that, that's also an important uh, information for um, who could read this book and, and, and about the background you need in order to get something out of it. Perfect. Now, early on, you write about the subject of computer science is computation. Now, that might seem to be self-evident, but as I kept reading the book, I kept getting a sense that maybe in students' minds, there's a little bit of a gap about what computation actually is. Is that a valid reading? Yeah, and it's, it's not so, so much about students. I think this is people in general probably have um, too narrow a view of what computation is. I think most of the time when people hear, hear the term, they associate it with machines, with laptops, PCs, cell phones. But it's actually more general than that. Computation happens a lot outside of machines. In general, computation happens whenever an algorithm, some kind of plan, is executed. And such a plan could be something like a recipe, right, for, for baking um, a cake or for, for cooking some meal. And so when you execute um, this recipe, this, this algorithm, then you could almost say that you're baking a, uh, that you're computing a cake, not just baking a cake. Cake or, or when you when you look at Hansel and Gretel when they follow the pebbles um, out of the forest, executing their algorithm for tracing the pebbles. Well, one could say that computing um, they they are computing their way out of the forest. Now, this is certainly an unusual way to talk about um, these examples and to call them computation. But I think it helps to point out that computation is not just about uh, manipulating numbers within uh, a machine. And if you find these examples hard to swallow, um, then consider um, the example of drawing a right triangle, where both legs have the length of one inch, and then measure the length of the diagonal. Now, what you've just done is not just drawn a, a triangle and performed a measurement, you have actually computed the square root of two. 
And you've done this by drawing and measuring. So not things that usually are considered to be computing, but this is a perfectly valid method to perform this computation. So that's um, that point of view that computation is really more general than uh, what happens with symbols inside of machines uh, was important for me to get across because it shows that this concept um, is widely applicable and occurs in many places. And in general, computation is the systematic transformation of representation. And systematic here means according to well-defined method. It's not just any, uh, any transformation. And um, representation means, this is also an important concept that is often overlooked, that um, you have to manipulate symbols or objects that stand for something else. In, um, in computations like we consider them usually um, with numbers, well, the Hindu-Arabic numerals, or in the case of the uh, triangle, the lines, they represent quantities. In the case of Hansel and Gretel, the pebbles, they represent locations. And based on these representations, problems are solved. So and this... I was going to say, so is that why the book is really, is one part looks at algorithms, which I generally have a sense of these are the rules that one needs to follow. So an example of Hansel and Gretel, you know, you drop what, you drop a pebble and you look for the next pebble versus the other part, which is languages, where I got a sense that maybe that's where you're beginning to talk about the representation. Given the example we talked about, you just talked about computation for Hansel and Gretel is the way they're basically um, the, their language is essentially little rocks. If you're doing a thing with an, uh, measuring, trying to get the square root of two, you can do it with numbers, or you can represent it as a uh, as a triangle. Is that what is that like? I guess a very very basic thumbnail sketch of why the book is divided into an algorithm part and a language part. Yeah, these are these are two um, aspects uh, that are important to that fact. Yes, that's right. So actually, there's there's two things to that. Um, first of all, representation of the things that are manipulated, the pebbles, but that is not the algorithm. And then you also mentioned the representation of the algorithm. And that is often, um, this distinction uh, is, is important because it, it, it points to the fact that there's a distinction between the dynamic process of doing something which is called a computation and the static description of this process, which is called uh, an algorithm. And this, the fact that um, an algorithm is expressed in a language has two major implications. The first one is that an algorithm can be shared and thus can be executed by many computers in many different times in many different places. And computer here doesn't have to be a machine. It can, can be a humans, right? It can be other agents. And um, I mean, a recipe book, for example, is a collection of algorithms that allow the spreading of cooking and baking knowledge or, or, con or consider these, these YouTube videos that tell you how to fix a leaking sink or something else. Um, these are algorithms that can be, in, in this way, shared with, with many people who can then execute them. And um, without the representation of the algorithm in some form, this would not be possible. This also shows you, uh, the YouTube example, for, uh, for example, that the language that is used to express an algorithm does not necessarily have to be textual. It can be pictures or it can be even videos. And the second aspect um, to this distinction between the static description and dynamic execution of an algorithm and the fact that the algorithm is represented in a language, that also enables uh, us to analyze algorithms, to, for example, consider what time it takes to execute an algorithm or what resource requirements there are, right? For, for Hansel and Gretel, we, we can see, well, this works only if we have pebbles or some other um, things like breadcrumbs that we can use to manipulate during executing the algorithm. And we can also then reason and judge the correctness of algorithms. It also understands uh, helps us to better understand the nature of algorithms and computation. Um, in particular, we, we can then observe 
the difference between some basic actions and actions that are called control structures. And then we can study things like loops and recursion and properties of algorithm like terminating or uh, running into an infinite loop. Without a representation in a language, this would be much more difficult. Um, it's, it's just funny because I'm sitting here listening to this. I'm thinking, so it's weird to think of a, a cake as basically the end result of a computation. You know, the algorithm is yeah. the recipe, the computation is the actual making of the cake, and then you, uh, then you have the cake. Um, when we talk about, uh, I guess, evaluating, talking about evaluating algorithms, uh, going back to the cake example and getting other stories, how do we know which is perhaps a better algorithm if at the end we basically kind of get the same thing? Um, yeah. So there's, there's different um, measures that you could apply. So in, um, in, in computing, we often are interested in algorithms that run faster than other algorithms. And so the runtime, the time it takes for, complete, from, for completing an algorithm, um, uh, that, is, that is one measure that is important. So for example, in the bake caking uh, example, you could think of um, either doing all the things in, in sequence or maybe there are certain things that you could do in parallel, right? So, for example, the oven could be preheated, or you could turn on the oven and then do other things in the meantime. If you did this all in sequence, uh, it might take longer. And so if you're clever about how you organize your steps, you can do it faster. So that's, that's, um, that's one idea. So then, then the other thing is sometimes we can use resources more um, in, a, in a more um, thoughtful way and, and, and save space um, also in, in executing algorithms. So for... For uh, physical examples, this is um, this is slightly different because computing resources are basically free, right? You can freely copy uh, co copy material, whereas in uh, a bake, well, you have when you bake one cake, you can eat it only once, right? Uh, whereas when you compute uh, a number result, well, you can reuse this number result many times. So there's some difference there, but in in principle, the idea of resources that you need resources for executing an algorithm that computation is costly in a certain sense. That applies to um, abstract algorithms that compute in, in, with numbers and algorithms that produce physical objects. That is, that is in, very similar. So of the uh, works of art that you look at within this thing, was it one that, was, that you were particularly surprised at? Because you talk about stories, novels, a song, uh, mm -hmm. movies. Was there one of the ones that you looked at? It's like, well, I was really, I wouldn't have, until you really sat in and thought about it, it's like, I really am surprised at how well that explains an, uh, part, of the, uh, part of computer science. So the first story that I, I looked at was Hansel and Gretel. And um, in some sense, it's still one of my favorites because um, that small little part of following the pebbles illustrates so many different aspects of algorithms. And um, so you don't really have to know a lot uh, in order to, to appreciate these different aspects of computing. There's this aspect that there is a plan that is being executed. It could be executed many times. You need resources, and the resources have to... Um, you need representations. We talked about that. And the representations have to um, be appropriate. So, for example, the breadcrumbs were reinterpreted by the birds and picked up. And so um, uh, in, the, in the second execution of the algorithm, this, this doesn't work. Um, there's this aspect that if you put the pebbles um, in, in some kind of, if, if they, for example, on their way into the forest, um, go across their path themselves, and there's a circle of pebbles, well, you could run into an infinite loop. So you can have this phenomenon that computations do not terminate. You can illustrate this with this example. And, um, 
and and some 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 other questions too. So I think that is still maybe from from that perspective my my favorite story. Although I have some some other stories I also like very much. I like the the fact that uh, time travel can be used to illustrate recursion. Um, that but maybe that is because I'm a computer scientist and a little bit geeky in that respect. Martin Erwig, the author of Once Upon an Algorithm, How Stories Explain Computing. Thanks for being on the MIT Press podcast today. Well, thanks, Chris. It was great to, to be here. For more information about this and other titles, please visit our website at mitpress.mit.edu. Don't forget you can find the MIT Press on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for listening to this episode of the MIT Press podcast. Copyright 2017, the MIT Press, all rights reserved.